Okay, I have the immense privilege of welcoming Ruth um, Levery up to speak to us this morning. Um, Ruth is a, a powerhouse of a woman. Um, she has a, a, a Midas touch on her of um, things just work around Ruth. She has an incredible anointing for things to be successful, for things to happen. Um, the food bank ministry that she's kind of partnered with has gone from strength to strength. She's an incredible woman of God. She's an incredible mind, an amazing heart. And I just want you to receive her this morning. Yeah, we're receiving from her, her heart, all that Jesus has put inside her. And I am confident that we as a church, and possibly even Ruth herself, has only begun to see the full potential of what she carries and what that means for us. So um, let's, let's welcome her, let's celebrate her as she comes up. Thanks, Dave. That was lovely. Dave and, Dave and Jill are so amazingly encouraging, aren't they? Um, and I feel like I don't really need to say anything this morning. <laughs> what a privilege to get up, up off the back of that. Um, worship time. Um, Ian, love hearing you contribute. And um, a lot of actually what I'm planning to say has been kind of done and covered already, which is awesome. So uh, forgive any repetitions. <laughs> um, and I hope that you still um, have lots of opportunity to meet the Holy Spirit through what I'm going to say. So um, I'm going to look at the um, passage in Acts at the beginning, um, and I've called it A Beautiful Encounter at the Beautiful Gate. Oh, look, there's two pictures of the gate. It was doing something funny when I was trying to make the PowerPoint there. But never mind, there you go, you can see. It's fine. So um, what I thought it would be good to do is if we read the, that um, encounter together, which I've got up on the, on the screen on the next... Oh, I've got the thing, haven't I? Hang on. Oh, right. So, the healing at the beautiful gate. One afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple for the three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance called the Beautiful Gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth being carried and placed at the entrance to the temple. He was often brought there to beg for money from those going into worship. When he noticed Peter and John going into the temple, he begged them for money. Peter and John, looking straight into the eyes of the crippled man, said, Look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. Then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give, you, I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man. As he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and ankles. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then began to walk around. As he went into the temple courts with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and shouted praises to God. When all the people saw him jumping up and down and heard him glorifying God, they realized it was the crippled beggar they had passed by in front of the beautiful gate. Astonishment swept over the crowd, for they were amazed over what had happened to him. So um, one of the things that I've learned increasingly um, over the last few years of um, leading Food Bank is that everybody has a story. And that's whether it's uh, the volunteer that I'm working alongside who's, who's retired, got all that experience behind them, or whether it's the client that's coming into the centre. <clears throat> there is always a story. <laughs> there are events, circumstances, choices, responses and reactions that have accumulated in a person's life to bring them to their current situation. 
many of them through their own choice, but many people have seemed to have a seeming load of events that happen to them that are beyond their control. But it can be in that moment of encountering a person, thank you, Jen, um, that we can easily judge, can't we, on first impressions? And we can easily forget the depth and wealth of experience that will bring a person into our world. But at that point, when they come into our world, we get to become part of their story, and they get to become part of ours. There's a shared impact in every encounter that we have with people. And how much more of it is true when we encounter the power, peace, comfort, intimacy of our daddy God, just like we have this morning. God is into story. The gospel is the redemption story of his love for us from the beginning of time. God is a fan of individuals and of writing their stories with them. And each of us, I believe, are like treasure chests containing hundreds of stories. I love listening to Peter Godwin's stories, to Ian when you share your stories. I, loved, I used to love listening to John Clark's stories and his unique way of recounting them. Pete's been encouraging us, hasn't he, to share our stories. And I feel like there's a call on us again this morning to open the lid of your treasure chest, each one of us, and share some of the stories that have been and are continually being written. Stories of joy, salvation, healing, but also of pain and desperation. I think God writes stories with us through those as well, doesn't he? So here in Acts 3, we see the interaction of Peter and John with the man crippled from birth. And we see at least two stories emerge, if not more. We get to identify both with Peter and John and the man begging because of his disability. And this morning I want to take us through those stories and both the different perspectives and then hopefully bring out some some themes that will hopefully be helpful for us um, as we continue to consider what it means to step out in power in our everyday lives. So let's start with the crippled man's story. He'd been crippled from birth at least 40 years, we're told later. So he'd never known any freedom of movement or any independence. He'd be taken everywhere. He developed a routine for survival, which would involve persuading his friends or someone to carry him day in and day out to the temple where he would have picked out and bagged his spot where he knew there would be lots of people passing by. Um, and he'd, knew the good, he'd know the good times of the day when there would be lots of people coming in to pray and for sacrifice. And he'd probably got used to the humiliation of having to beg for money. And it's probably that his expectations for his day were not much more than that. To get to the temple, earn a few bob, and then he might be able to get some money to feed himself and keep himself alive. He merely hoped that he would be supported in the condition that he was in, and he hardly hoped for any change to that. His poverty wasn't just physical and financial. I believe it was aspirational as well. Whilst he was sitting in his position, he would hope to get the attention of those people walking past, probably by calling out or shaking a cup in their direction. This was his story to date. Then we get Peter and John. They were among the people going to pray at the temple at three o'clock. As you know, both of them were fishermen and they'd encountered Jesus. Their lives had been turned upside down following that encounter. They'd experienced firsthand Jesus' teaching. They'd seen many healings, including at least one person raised from the dead. They'd been with Jesus as he had been transfigured. And yet Peter had still denied Jesus three times as he was taken to be killed. 
Peter was one of the first to run to the empty tomb to check out what the women said about whether Jesus was alive or not. And then he was movingly restored by Jesus on the beach after witnessing a miraculous catch of fish. So these two were among the disciples waiting in the upper room in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit and both had a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, such that following this, Peter preached the most amazing sermon, and only 3,000 people believed. (laughs) They became part of a community that shared their lives together. So going to the temple would be in a daily um, routine for the disciples. They would have noticed the beggars there on other occasions. Um, But today, however, Peter and John, it says were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth, being carried and placed at the entrance of the temple. I love that bit about them being, they noticed him. I wonder if it reminded them of the healing of the paraplegic that they'd seen when the man's friends put the hole in the roof and he came down. Um, Or maybe they just loved the fact that his um, friends were bringing the man, love in action, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was all of those things. But either way, we're told that they noticed him before he noticed them. I love that. The man then noticed them and begged them for money. So I wonder if at this point you've probably been in the same kind of situation um, where you've been asked for money as you're out and about. Um, I wonder if they were in a hurry to get to the prayer. And either way, if when you're asked money, there's probably a whole host of emotions that they probably felt. They might have felt a bit annoyed that they'd been asked or frustrated even that because in their compassion they didn't have the money that they wanted to give to him. But verse 4 tells us that Peter looked straight into the beggar's eyes. Um, I can't help but be drawn to that and wonder if there's any significance in it. Giving someone eye can- contact immediately speaks of giving them value, doesn't it? It's not being afraid to look at someone and look into their eyes. It's going to impact their heart. It makes a difference to me when people look in my eyes. It does seem that the beggar originally at the beginning doesn't want to return their gaze. Um, And Peter has to ask him to look at them. Maybe it was because he lacked self-confidence. Maybe he was ashamed of his situation or wary of what might be coming his way. But I wonder if there's something in the mutual kind of giving of attention that commanded something spiritually without the man being aware. I wonder if, in this instance, some of Peter's faith was rubbed off on the man and his previously very low expectations were raised even slightly. Anyway, Peter knew what the man wanted and he knew that he was unable to provide that because he didn't have money with him. He had got a reputation, the apostles had got a good reputation of dealing with money and giving it away, so it might have been that the man knew that about them already. But Peter was also aware of what he did have, who he was and what he carried. So whilst the man's expectations were probably initially dashed a little as he became aware he wasn't going to get his financial gift, Peter knew that what he had to give to him was far more than money. He was fully aware of the power and authority of Jesus' name. And so in that name, he commands the man to to not just stand up, but to walk. So Peter holds out his hand for the beggar to take. I imagine he probably wasn't the the cleanest of people um, or the most hygienic. Um, Oh, there was something going on the other week about how many times you wash your hands or don't wash your hands. And 
how hygienic and unhygienic it was. And I was... Anyway, what Peter did in doing this was reach across all those barriers in an act of faith. He saw past the circumstances that the beggar was in to, his, to the person. And he was so sure of the efficacy of his prayer that he was willing to put his money where his mouth was. Peter's hand to the beggar was a sign of the Holy Spirit taking him by the hand. And I felt that was some of what was happening this morning, actually, as well, wasn't it? Holy Spirit offering his hand out to us. Peter would have been aware of miracles that Jesus had done where um, something happened as they did something in faith. So when the 5,000, when they fed the, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was only when he prayed, broke the bread, that the bread multiplied. When the wine, the water was poured out, it became wine. So he was aware that sometimes we need to do something in faith. And as the man partnered with Peter, and in this act of faith, it says, suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and ankles, and the man stood up and walked around. He wasn't wobbling. He wasn't leaning. He didn't need any support. He was walking, and he was jumping, and he was praising God. Okay, and again, coming back with what Rachel said this morning, um, how we have that hand of Holy Spirit um, offered out to us, and the strength that can course through our bodies. So the man's day was totally transformed. He had an incredible story to tell. His hopes and expectations for the day were completely blown out of the water. While all he could do was imagine how he would survive, how he could be supported in the condition he was in, God had stepped in and completely changed his condition. He was completely overwhelmed, stunned, filled with joy, running, leaping, shouting praises to God. This morning, he had been poor in every sense of the word. Now he was rich. His cure meant that he can work for his living apart from anything else. He wouldn't be coming back to sit at the beautiful gate the next day. It's not clear whether he's one of the crowd that later um, responded to Peter's subsequent message But what is clear is that he wanted to hang around with Peter and John for a longer period of time, probably to hear from them about Jesus. So it seems like Peter, after the encounter, um, he gets to preach to all the crowd, and it seems like he might be getting used to that kind of thing, Um, and seeing people respond. I sense he lived with an anticipation of his day being interrupted like this. So the, um, the interaction at the beautiful gate between Peter and John and the beggar had a huge impact on those in and around the temple as well um, at the time, and Peter and John and the rest of the believers. We're told that due, due to the noise and the commotion that the beggar was making, the crowd noticed and realized it was the lame beggar that they all knew they passed by every day at the beautiful gate. They didn't question the validity of the miracle. They were astonished, filled with wonder and amazement, dumbfounded over what they were witnessing, it says. And we are told they ran over to Peter and John. So Peter took the opportunity. In, in Solomon's porch, which I really like, Solomon the wise king, to offer incredible wisdom and revelation on the events that had occurred. The impact of his message was that there were many in the crowd who believed the message, bringing the total number of men who believed to nearly 5,000. So if 3,000 had believed after Pentecost, 
That's a significant number, isn't it? That have been. <laughs> it's not that I can't do maths. I just thought there might have been people, other people that converted between times. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but lots of people responded, didn't they? So the further consequences for this of Peter and John were that they experienced opposition. As after this passage, it goes on to say that they were arrested by the Jewish authorities. So Peter and John's day, on one level, ended badly. They were in a prison cell overnight. The beggar was free from all his previous bondages, but Peter and John were trapped physically in a cell overnight. The following day, they faced questioning and were threatened by the authorities, but subsequently released. But I do love the role the church takes, place, takes in this. It says, they raised their voices in unity and prayed in Acts 4. So whilst Peter and John were on the front line, this is a story about the whole church. This is the whole church's story. It's so important that we pray. It's great that we're doing, we're doing that on Tuesday night, but all the time. <laughs> so another outcome of this encounter for Peter and John was that the word got out amongst the people, and increasingly those who were sick were brought to them. And In Acts 5 it says, When people knew Peter was going to walk by, they carried the sick out into the streets laid them out on cots and mats, knowing the incredible power emanating from him would overshadow them and heal them. So I think in some translations it talks about they wanted Peter's shadow to fall on them. That was the reputation that Peter was getting. So, wow. What a beautiful encounter. A beautiful encounter at the beautiful gate. And the gate was called that because it was beautiful. Um, I think that's kind of... More like what it looks now, it probably looked a lot more impressive previously. So the notes in the Prussian translation indicate that the beautiful gate points to Jesus. Who is the gate or the entrance to God? It also speaks of Ezekiel's temple in, in Ezekiel 47, 42, 47, which has a river flowing out from the threshold through the gateway of the temple. The river's first is ankle deep. I love that. And it was his ankles, isn't it, that were, that were healed. So um, it was firstly ankle deep. This man, lame in his ankles, was healed by the spiritual river that flowed out of the beautiful gate of Christ. The gateway opened up and the river poured out of Peter and John, bringing healing to the lame. So um, that's the stories. Um, that's what happened. Um, obviously, some of, I've, some of it I've kind of... Um, considered from my own point of view what it might have been like and extrapolated but that's essentially what happened so there's a few themes I wanted to draw from this encounter which might be relevant to us so the first is the whole thing of living with an expectation of heaven breaking out around us Peter and John seem to have got used to that whilst they might have been in a hurry to get to prayer they might have been irritated by the man's calls to them they chose not to just walk straight past him. Now, it's listening to Holy Spirit, isn't it? Because there are times when we do need to walk straight past people because um, we're in a hurry. But they decided, they heard Holy Spirit, they were going to stop. And even though they knew they didn't have money, they were going to give him what they had. They had such an interest and preoccupation with the things of heaven and lived with such an awareness of the power of heaven that they responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and released healing for this man. They saw through the man's poverty and seemingly hopeless situation and confidently brought heaven's solution for him. Later, while Peter and John are being questioned by the authorities, 
it says that the council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who'd never had any religious training. It can be tempting for us, can't it, to not feel qualified and um, to use our lack of experience of these kinds of dramatic events as an excuse. I know that I've done it, um, if not consciously, subconsciously. But I feel Jesus is reminding us again, and has so clearly this morning, of who we are and what we carry. We have power and authority. Our prayers are powerful. We carry heaven's solutions for people's difficult situations and problems wherever we go. There's always a way through. And this is why it's so important, again, that we do share our stories. As we share and celebrate our testimonies of progress in this area, we can call on them prophetically to become more and more of our experience, as Pete shared the other week. Um, I love the thankfulness focus that we've got at the moment as well, because I, that is only going to bellow, isn't it, and just get more and more, and more of our, uh, stories of healing and breakthrough that are going to come through um, our thankfulness um, So it's exciting. So the second is around faith. Again, Peter spoke about it last week, so I'm not going to spend ages on it. But Peter and John's faith is notable, isn't it? (laughs) You can't not mention it. Uh, It's quite possible they didn't know how long the beggar had been crippled for. They probably had no idea of his idea up to this point. However, Peter, not just in his own, not just both in his words, he didn't just ask him to stand. He asked him to walk. And in his actions, holding his hand out to his mat to the man, demonstrates complete conviction in the power of Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 that faith is the supernatural ability to trust God in a particular situation. I think there's something in here about the faith of the man as well. That in turning to look at Peter and John, he had faith he would receive something, even if it was the wrong thing. He did think he might get some money. But his faith wasn't required. But I do think that actually even, even this morning again, in our response to Holy Spirit, we're demonstrating faith, aren't we? And there is something in that. Um, and however it worked, faith was involved, wasn't it? Um, so how do we build our faith? I think direct declarations are really good with this. It says in the Bible that faith comes through hearing. That's in Romans 10. And so as we declare truths over ourselves, our faith will grow. So what are we listening to? What are we declaring over ourselves on a daily basis? Uh, Steve Backland's written loads on this, so if you want to read any of his books, do do that. And in his book, simply called Declarations, he's written biblical declarations on a number of different topics. So I've taken some from there. Um, This is on the chapter, Releasing the Supernatural. They they are, I am clothed with with Christ, therefore I release his presence everywhere I go. I am so baptized in the Holy Spirit that I naturally spill over to those around me. I have the mind of Christ and use it. I've got another one, I think. It is impossible for me to pray and have nothing happen good one i release the supernatural naturally and effortlessly i think and speak prophetically my touch releases the healing grace of jesus do you want to say them with me let's do it so i am clothed with christ 
Therefore, I release his presence everywhere I go. I am so baptized in the Holy Spirit that I naturally spill over to those around me. I have the mind of Christ and use it. It is impossible for me to pray and have nothing happen. I release the supernatural naturally and effortlessly. I think and speak prophetically. My touch releases the healing grace of Jesus. Woo! Wow. So what if we said those over ourselves every day? (laughs) I'm convinced our faith would be considerably built. Um, So I'm happy to send those out. You can write your own if you want as well. So the third thing I wanted to talk about was the power of Jesus' name. Peter says, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Jesus taught his disciples about the power of his name and they discovered that even demons obeyed them when they commanded them in Jesus' name. In Jewish thought, a name doesn't just identify or distinguish a person, it expresses the very nature of their being. So therefore, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. So when Peter said, in the name of Jesus, it wasn't just a formula he'd learnt to say in these situations. He had consciously decided that in this situation, he was doing this in the power and authority of Jesus and not of Peter. So the invocation of Jesus' name is the direct link here between earth and heaven. Peter explains later when he's addressing the crowd that it's the faith that comes through believing in Jesus' name that has made this crippled man walk. Philippians 2, I put up there, talks about the authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. Wow, so if you want any reminder of how significant Jesus' name is. So we don't declare his name lightly, but we can be fully assured of his power and authority that that we have access to as we pray for people in his name. So the final thing is the power, like the purpose of the healing. So on, on one level, this is just one man who had his day completely turned upside down through one interaction, one encounter. But it's also the story of a large number of other people having their daily routine interrupted and their lives transformed by the Holy Spirit as they responded to Peter's gospel message. Peter wouldn't have had the opportunity to speak to the crowd if he hadn't first been faithful in the situation that was presented itself to him. So I do love the fact that God is interested in the ones and twos, stopping for the ones and twos. Heidi Baker talks about stopping for the one, doesn't she? It makes all the difference. And he does call us to notice those people who might otherwise feel overlooked, unimportant, who are on the fringes. This guy was sitting on the outside of the temple. There's a whole kind of other, other area that you could talk about. But we never know how God is going to use those interactions that we might have with the ones and the twos. Um, consider the person who spoke to Billy Graham about Jesus. 
he would never have known the impact then that Billy Graham was going to have on the world and the number of people that were going to become Christians because of him. Ones and twos do matter. But whilst this story is a one of physical healing, God is ultimately concerned with spiritual healing and reconciliation with him. And as we've noted, the numbers added to the church following this event are astounding. Once the word got out and about about what happened, people were drawn even more to Peter and John. And there is the capacity, even more, I would say today, for the spread of good news, isn't there? With all the different media and social media and everything, opportunities that we have, far more than there was in Jesus' day, or Peter and John's day. Let's spread the good news. Um, and wouldn't it be great for our, the church to impact our city, county, nation, and the church growing because people are being saved and added to us? Maybe this starts with us noticing individuals, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, stepping out in faith, and calling on the name of Jesus. So, to conclude, I was taken by the image of the beautiful gate. And again, I feel almost like this has already happened this morning, but who wants a bit more of Holy Spirit? You can never get too much, can you? So, um, so the, and the beautiful gate representing Jesus and the beautiful encounter that occurred there also being an invitation to us. There are maybe ways in which we need to encounter Jesus this morning, whether it's his power that we need, his peace, his comfort, his reassurance, his strength. We don't need to be carried into his presence like he did, like the beggar did. He is here, as we know. Um, so I just wanted to give us a bit of space to encounter him. So if this helps, wherever you are, do you want to close your eye? Oh, well, there is a slide you might want to look at first. There we go. Uh, <laughs> you can close your eyes. Um, our imaginations are good, and they were given to us by God, and it can be a place where we can really interact with him. So you don't have to do this if it's not helpful for you, but if it does help, you can imagine yourself at the beautiful gates. You can remember all that the gate represents. Healing, Jesus. Let your imagination get carried away with what it might look like. And if you want, you can imagine a river flowing out from the temple through the gate. And as you sit there at the gate, you can imagine the water firstly starting to be very shallow. It's at ankle level. But its depth is, its depth is slowly increasing through waist level to where it's deep enough to swim. You feel free to imagine paddling, wading, jumping in, splashing, swimming. There is refreshing for us in this place. Holy Spirit's here, bringing life and fruitfulness and healing. It would be really good to pray for each other.
in this place. You can feel to feel free to pray, uh, share with others what you've experienced in your imagination. Feel free to um, talk to them about what you'd like them to pray for, or if you've got a word of knowledge or a prophetic word and want to share it with someone, go and do that. But we've got about seven minutes, so let's make um, have some fun if you want to go. And just find someone to pray with, just share what's going on. Or if you've got something you want to share with someone, then there is time and space to do that now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your peace. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you, actually, that we can experience both your peace and your power in one morning. How awesome is that? And thank you, God, that actually as we encounter you, Holy Spirit, we are changed. We can't help but be changed in this place. Oh, I just want to commission us again this morning that... Um, as we reach out and take the hand of the Holy Spirit, strength will just flow into our ankles and our knees, uh, up through our bodies. And we will not just be stumbling around, but we will be walking and jumping and praising God. And that actually attention will come <laughs> because uh, people notice actually what Jesus and Holy Spirit is doing here amongst us. Father, we declare that there will be those who come to know you and are added to us as a community who didn't know you before, but they've encountered you in an incredible supernatural way. And we declare that in each encounter that we might come into this week um, with people that we would see past the, the um, first impressions and into the story of that person's life and be able to minister to them um, through your Holy Spirit. You would speak to us, you would give us the words that we need, and you would give us that courage and boldness that Peter and John experienced at the beautiful gate there. Thank you, God, that you are interested in people. You're interested in the ones and twos, and you're interested in writing stories with each of us and with them. Oh, God, it's exciting being in an adventure with you. Thank you, God. Yes, I do go. Sorry, I got carried away. Do go and pray with them, with other people, and share with them.